MacCast, Sunday, July 24th, 2022. Hey, Mac Geeks, it's time for your MacCast, the show for Mac Geeks by Mac Geeks. I'm Adam, and this is a show where we discuss all things Macintosh. How are you doing? Welcome back to the MacCast. Glad to be back here with you for another episode of all the goings-ons, happenings, things, stuff in our little Apple and Mac community. Hope you are having a wonderful day. Things have been going pretty good around here, although I have to admit, today was yard work day, and I'm a little bit tired. Yeah, a lot of working around the yard today. It a nice day here in uh, South Dakota, but yeah, got quite a bit done. Looking over the show notes uh, this week, a little bit of a lighter week this week. Not a lot happening in the summer. As you know, if you've been in the community for a while now, you know that things slow down between Worldwide Developer Conference and all of the announcements for new Apple products in the fall when we expect to get new iPhones and Apple Watches and accessories and all that fun stuff. So we're kind of in that waiting pattern, but there are a few things for us to talk about. We're going to get into some Apple Arcade news. We're going to talk about how supply chain stuff is going, both for iPhone and other products and what might be happening with Apple's business. I'm going to talk about uh, some issues, I guess. I don't, I don't even want to call it that. I'm going to get into a little reality check for some of the updates that we're hearing about with the new MacBook Air. Those are out on the streets, and we're getting some reviews and information and little dust-up happened this past week that I think is a little bit crazy. We're going to get into some Apple TV Plus news and then also jump into some new information about Apple Watch. And then we'll get into some of your questions and some feedback from previous episodes, and that will round out the show for this week. So it should be a pretty good one, maybe a little bit short, but hey, we're still going to have a good time. So let's just jump right into things. Speaking of a good time, starting with games in Apple Arcade, although a little bit of sad news, it sounds like a couple of titles are going to be going away from Apple Arcade. So if you have an Apple Arcade subscription, you might want to be aware of this and uh, play these titles before they leave the service. This was noted by Touch Arcade this week. They said that Apple added a Leaving Arcade Soon tab to the Apple Arcade section in uh, the App Store, and it shows 15 titles that are going to be removed from the service. Among the titles are Atone, Heart of the Elder Tree, Cardapocalypse, Don't Bug Me, Spell Drifter, among others. Now, Apple didn't specify exactly when the titles are going to be removed, nor did they say in that section what really happens when the titles go away, meaning what happens to your saved game progress? Do you have an opportunity to purchase the game if you want to keep it? They didn't go into those details, but we do have them now. So more on that in a second. Apple also hasn't said why the games are leaving the service, but sources believe it's because the original contracts with the developers and studios are reaching an end and may have not been renewed or extended, probably by Apple or maybe even by the studios or developers themselves. Apple originally did three-year deals with the developers where they were offered a fixed fee up front and then royalties while the games were hosted exclusively on the app on Apple Arcade. So that is likely coming to an end. Now, follow-up from an iMore article, Apple did say this week they gave some details and a little bit more clarification onto as to what will happen with these titles 
The titles, if you've downloaded them from Apple Arcade prior to their removal from the service, will continue to work for up to two weeks. And then if the developer chooses, they can make the app available in the App Store, though it's up to them if they want to offer the same version that was in Apple Arcade or a different version. So there could be some differences. And also it's up to up to the developer to decide if your saved game progress from the Apple Arcade version would transfer into the new version or edition if they make that available on the App Store. So I would imagine that most of these are going to be moving to be on the App Store available for sale, and you probably will be able to save and retain your game progress, though you may have to actually buy a license for it. So this definitely, in my mind, shows one of the downsides of licensing your apps from a subscription service versus just buying it outright. Uh, You only have the rights to access the content as long as it's licensed to the service and as long as you subscribe to the service. So that's kind of part of the deal. I mean, the reality is, is we've seen even games that you purchase on Apple Arcade go away. So there's no guarantees even when you're quote unquote buying your software. But you know, definitely uh, something to think about when you're considering a subscription service for your software or your games. And it's looking like this will be kind of a normal thing that we can expect to happen where new titles will come on to Apple Arcade and other ones might go away over time. So if you want to play any of these games, check out that section. You can see the 15 titles, the full list of 15 titles that are being removed and uh, play them now before they go away. Looks like Apple is, like many of us, planning for a potential slowdown in the economy. And that's probably not too surprising. But Bloomberg is reporting that Apple is planning to, quote, slow hiring and spending growth next year in some divisions. Now, it will not impact all departments and it will not likely impact the aggressive product launch schedule Apple has planned for 2023. That would include Apple's first AR VR headset among a number of new Macs that we're expecting in 2023, maybe M2 iMacs and M2 Mac Pros and all those sorts of things. Those projects are likely going to stay on schedule and move straight ahead. But Apple is going to kind of adjust things internally, it sounds like. For groups impacted, they will likely see reduced R&D budgets, reduced hiring budgets. And it sounds like Apple may not backfill roles for departing employees in those groups. The report doesn't specifically say which groups Apple is considering limiting. So we don't really know where those targets are. But I think this overall makes sense, right? Apple is just being strategic. They're kind of planning things out for the next year. And it doesn't sound like it's going to impact consumers probably very much. Unfortunately, it probably will impact some Apple employees and the work going on there. So uh, Apple, you know, planning for the future and uh, the future's looking a little bit tight right now. I think everybody's feeling that. Another thing that Apple continues to feel is the effects of the supply chain. And it looks like iPhone 14 suppliers are experiencing some shortages. This is according to analyst Ming-Chi Kuo. Apple has had a couple of suppliers for components like memory and display panels, experiencing delays or shortages in production. Specifically, he says Samsung on the memory side, basically Apple's sole supplier, and LG Display for the panels on the iPhone 14 Max and iPhone 14, though the report notes it's mostly on the latter. Now, the good news is that according to Quo, this should all have a minimal impact on Apple's supply chain as the diversity of Apple's supply chain allows them to kind of shift to other vendors to be able to kind of cover the gaps 
and any of the shortages. On the memory side, it sounds like Samsung should be able to cover production through the third quarter of 2022, while other suppliers like Micron and SK Hynix are going to jump in and they're set to start shipping products and memory in the fourth quarter. So they'll just kind of hand the ball off and kind of pick up the slack on the memory side of things as production rolls out. And on the display side, Samsung and BOE should be able to step in and help out with the displays. So this really shows one of the reasons we've commented on and, and seen Apple really diversify their supply chain over the years and not become so dependent on a single component supplier. They really don't like to do that, although sometimes they're forced into that, into that position, as we've discussed. But here is a great example of how they can adapt and sort of deal with some of the ongoing issues that we've seen in the supply chain. So we're still expecting, you know, iPhone supplies to be a little bit constrained, but should be okay moving in to the fall if you're looking to get a new iPhone 14. Now, I can't even believe that I have to mention this next story, but as I said at the top of the show, it's a little bit of a slow news week, and I'm talking about Scratchgate. Uh, I, I say that tentatively. I don't think too many people are calling this Scratchgate, but one of the bigger stories covered in the community this past week was the release of the new MacBook Air. As you might imagine, a lot of people are very excited about that model. And it t- took literally, in my opinion, no longer than a few hours before there were reviewers and some in the media trying to create a controversy around the specifically the new midnight color MacBook Air. And guess what? Basically, a black matte laptop. Yes, it's a fingerprint magnet. You're going to get fingerprints on it. And also it's slightly more prone to scratching, specifically in areas like the USB-C ports where you're plugging in something metal and you actually have metal contacting metal. It's going to scratch a little bit. And because it's got that black paint on it, that black finish, that rubs off a little bit. And hey, you get silver showing through and it's a little bit more obvious on a black laptop. I have to say, I actually even looked at my Space Gray um, MacBook Pro and I have the same kinds of scratching that you see in a lot of the images. So of course, people are freaking out and trying to imply that there's some sort of problem here, but really, you know, it's just going to be normal wear and tear on your notebook and as always, anytime we see a black laptop, and it's not just Apple, any matte black laptop, you get this kind of coverage. You get the these things saying, oh, it attracts fingerprints, it's hard to clean, it scratches more easily. These are not new issues. And if it really does bother you, there are some very simple solutions. You can add a case or a skin or some other protection to your laptop. And uh, I would imagine if a small amount of normal wear and tear really does bother you, it would be something that you were already considering doing anyway. You probably already do it on your devices if you don't want to have normal wear and tear and and little scratches and stuff like that. Another option is just don't buy the midnight color. There are several other color options, including starlight and silver and space gray. Silver is probably your best bet to not notice kinds of scratching and normal wear and tear. Or you could do what I would choose to do, which is just live with it and enjoy the patina, quote unquote, that comes with a loved and well-used device. I mean, the reality, in my opinion, is these things are tools. They're not meant to be heirlooms or gallery pieces. I know we all love to think that Apple has 
beautiful functional pieces of art and they absolutely do their designs are amazing these things are gorgeous if you really want to protect them and i understand the people that do there's nothing wrong with that you can take steps to really protect them but i've just i I guess i've resolved myself over the years that my devices i use them they're functional tools and they're gonna get dinged and scratched and and have edges worn and stuff like that and i kind of choose to now just see the beauty in that and see that hey this is a tool that i really used and put my sweat and tears in and that's just part of the game um but you know i have a case on my iphone my laptop i don't have a case on but you know it has a few scuffs and scratches and dings and that's all right so you can either accept that stuff or not but like freaking out over it or this big explosion we saw this week i just thought is a little bit crazy so let's just stop that right now let's stop with the gate things stop just stop these are things we deal with happens with technology occasionally there are going to be little flubs by apple and uh they generally do a pretty good job of jumping in and trying to resolve them in most cases so this isn't really a problem. This is just a thing. And uh, I think we can all agree to just kind of live with it. The other thing that I think we can kind of stop uh, obsessing on, and again, it came up this week again, is the slower performance on the base models. And yes, it was confirmed this past week that the 256 gigabyte base model of the MacBook Air suffers from this slower SSDs uh, SSD speed, just like the single module 256 gigabyte MacBook Air did. It has the same configuration. There's a single 256 gigabyte SSD in there versus two 128s, which is what you had in the M1. And that just does overall affect the read-write performance. As a matter of fact, it's about half of the M1. But here's the thing. If you're going for performance you could, one, just get the M1 version, which is really great, and it's not that much slower in terms of performance of the CPU. You're talking 10 to 20%, and this is benchmark performance. You know, real-world performance, you're not really going to notice very much. And then, secondly, if you really need performance, you probably shouldn't be looking at a consumer entry-level notebook. You shouldn't be looking at a MacBook Air or even the entry-level MacBook Pro. Look at a 14-inch MacBook Pro or a 16-inch MacBook book pro instead those are going to give you way better sustained performance and they're not going to suffer um, from this slower ssd issue uh and guess what else (laughs) they discovered this week the macbook air also doesn't do too well with heavy sustained workloads after about five minutes so we're talking about multiple 4k stream rendering of video those types of workflows the MacBook Air isn't really great at that. It gets warm because it doesn't have an active cooling system and then starts to throttle. But here's the thing. It's a consumer notebook. It's not designed or intended for those kinds of workflows. And if you want to use it for that workflow, you absolutely can, but you're going to need to be prepared. to. Do it. It's going to take a little bit longer. And we're not talking like hours longer we're just talking some you know significant differences in terms of performance but once again if that's your workflow then you really should be looking at a pro level notebook not a consumer entry level notebook so all this stuff it kind of gets blown out of proportion and i fix it did do their teardown and they did confirm that hey there's no heat spreader there's no heat sink in this new design. So it is going to get warm. It's going to dissipate heat a little bit differently. Uh, Max Tech, the YouTuber, showed that you can get a little bit better performance out of the M2 
a MacBook Air if you want to hack it a little bit by opening it up and putting some cooling pads on top of the CPU so that it transfers heat from the CPU to the outer casing a little more efficiently. He was able to kind of double the sustained workload time to about 10 minutes before it started throttling. But here's the thing. 99% of the right people for these notebooks, the people who are going to buy the base models because that's their use case and those are their workflows, you're going to love the M2 systems. They're going to be plenty of fa- plenty fast for your day-to-day usage, your normal usage. And we're starting to see some of those reports now. Those folks who do normal things like web browsing or email or, you know, moderate photo editing and all the things you would use a consumer laptop for, you're not going to notice the SSD speeds. You're not going to notice issues with performance in your apps and stuff like that. These machines are going to perform beautifully. And the new M2 MacBook Air, the new design is outstanding. The thinness, all of that stuff. So just enjoy your notebook. Buy the thing that you need for the workflows that you're going to to have, and you're going to be totally fine. There's going to be no issues whatsoever. So just a few other last little things on the new M2 MacBook Air. A few notable design internal changes from the iFixit teardown. The speakers have been moved from the side to above the motherboard, and the speaker holes are not really visible. They're actually tucked down in the hinge behind the display, which is really, really interesting. Um, early reviews say that they still sound pretty good, at least for you know a small laptop speaker. Uh, Apple also allows or changed the design of the backplate, so it takes just four screws now to actually get the backplate off versus 10 in the previous design. So that's a nice little enhancement, especially if you need to get in there. Now, there's not too much you can do once you get in there, maybe to drop in those thermal pads if that's something you want, but just a notable design change. There is a new Thunderbolt 3 driver that's made by Apple instead of Intel. So, you know, Apple doing more of their own chip designs and, and more of their own chips in this version. And then probably one of the most interesting things was that there is an accelerometer in there although it's not really clear what it would be for like why that was added historically apple would put accelerometers in notebooks to stop the spinning drive when they detected you might have dropped it so that it would avoid damage and data loss but obviously with an ssd you're not going to need that some folks are saying maybe it's for kind of gaming applications that sort of stuff but not really sure that would be it. Maybe something related to AR, VR. Who really knows? But there is apparently an accelerometer in the new motherboard design. So just some notable changes on the MacBook, the new M2 MacBook Air. Apple announced it has secured the rights to the movie Causeway, which will star and is produced by Jennifer Lawrence. Apple says Causeway is, quote, an intimate portrait of a soldier struggling to adjust to her life after returning home to New Orleans. The film will be directed by Leela Neugbauer and comes from Studio 24. Apple says the film will premiere on Apple TV Plus and in theaters later this year. And speaking of all those stars, it sounds like Apple is definitely not afraid to step up to get great shows and talent for the Apple TV Plus service. Variety this week reported on some of the prices paid for top talent in recent projects, and Apple has paid out big for some of its biggest stars. For Apple TV Plus projects, uh, Will Smith topped the list for Apple with a payday of $35 million for his role 
in the upcoming American Civil War drama Emancipation. Leonardo DiCaprio will reportedly earn $30 million for his role in the Martin Scorsese production of Killers of the Flower Moon. And Brad Pitt, the most recent edition, will get $30 million for the upcoming untitled Formula One racing film from Jerry Bruckheimer Films. So Apple, you know, paying out for those big stars. And as we know, that's been kind of paying off for them in terms of awards and accolades for their service. It's also paying off for them as more and more people learn the quality of the content on Apple TV. They seem to be gaining subscribers slowly but surely. And then finally, in Apple TV Plus news this week, Apple's Ron Moore produced alternative space drama for all mankind will have a fourth season. They just uh, released the third season, season, I think, a couple weeks ago. I've actually been really enjoying watching that. It's one of my favorite TV series on Apple TV+. The announcement was made at this week's San Diego Comic-Con, and production is reportedly set to start next month. So if you're a For All Mankind fan, there is at least one more season on the way. And then finally, in the news for this week, a new look for Apple Watch. Yeah, we've been talking about the new rugged version of the watch. And I think Mark Gurman commented recently in his newsletter on what he thinks some of the updates will be for this year's Apple Watch. And it looks like he has some ideas about that higher end model as well. He claims the high end model might be up to 7% larger, which uh, probably won't appeal to all customers, but there definitely is a group of folks who like larger screens on their devices. He also notes that the watch will get a, quote, fresh look with an evolution from the current rectangular design, although he says specifically it's not going to be a round design. It's not going to be a circle. He also specifically says that the new design will not have flat sides. That's a rumor we had heard about, oh, what, about last year or maybe six months ago that Apple could redesign it with the more of the design language like the current iPhone and iPads. Yep, he says that's not happening this time around, but he does say that it will have a more durable formation of titanium, making it more rugged. So again, it sounds like all of these predictions might be specifically for the new rugged extreme sports version of the Apple Watch that we've been hearing about, the one that will probably replace the uh, current titanium models. And he finally mentions that there will be a new low power mode that could allow for the Apple Watch to last multiple days on a single charge. And that would be really nice. I actually can get through, even with my Series 7, probably about a day and a half, sometimes even two days, depending upon my usage. So anything that's going to be longer than that is going to be really nice. So we are expecting a pretty significant update to Apple Watch this year. We'll have to find out what that looks like probably in the fall. But with that, that is going to do it for the news for this week. Before we move on, I do want to take a quick moment and thank my show sponsor, Simply Safe. Uh, today's episode of the MacCast is brought to you by Simply Safe Home Security. And here at the MacCast, we believe home should be the safest place on earth for every family. And that's why I use and recommend Simply Safe. Simply Safe is advanced whole home security that puts you and your home and your family's safety first. And here's why I love it. I love my Simply Safe system for a number of reasons, but the first is the ease of setup and the ability to do it myself. I was literally able to get it out of the box and set up very, very quickly. I also really appreciate the flexibility and expandability 
I was able to configure the perfect set of sensors and accessories that fit my home. And even better, when I moved, I was able to take my system with me and easily expand it to fit the needs of my new home, which were different, as you might imagine, than my original place. Simply Safe offers comprehensive protection not only against intruders and burglary, but against expensive home hazards from flooding to fires. With 24-7 professional monitoring, Simply Safe's agents take action the moment a threat is detected, dispatching police or first responders in an emergency, even if you're not home. Simply Safe uses proprietary video verification technology so that monitoring agents can visually confirm the threat in order to get higher priority 911 dispatch. And monitoring plans are affordably priced at a dollar a day with no long-term contracts or hidden fees because feeling safe at home shouldn't break the bank. You can customize the perfect system for your home in just a few minutes at simplysafe.com slash MacCast. Go today and claim a free indoor security camera plus 20% off with interactive monitoring. Go to simplysafe.com slash MacCast. And a big thank you to Simply Safe for their support of the show. If you heard the last episode, you know I put out the call to the community or kind of mentioned that we should have a call in the community where we could kind of send up a signal for help, uh, like a MacCast bat signal. And I should have known that when I put out the call and mentioned that on the show, that you would respond. And actually, David was the one who responded. And guess what? Now we have a real MacCast bat signal of sorts. It's in the form of a shortcut that David wrote and built. And what this does is it automatically sets up and generates an email to the MacCast asking for help. So if you have a question or something you need help with related to your Mac or your iOS devices, your Apple TVs, your iCloud services, whatever it might be, anything Apple or Mac related, you can grab this shortcut and use it to send out the call, send out the bat signal, the, the MacCast signal. We still need a name for it, but uh, right now, uh, I think this is amazing. And best of all, it can be triggered by Siri, and you can do it all with your voice. I tried it out. It is fabulous. So huge, huge thanks to David uh, for contributing this to the community. I will have a link to the shortcut in the show notes at maccast.com. So if you'd like to download it and try it out for yourself, you absolutely can. And again, just another great example of how awesome this community is. Something else we've been discussing recently on the MacCast was the iCloud family photo library, a new feature that's coming to iCloud that allows families, members in, in an iCloud family account to share a single photo library. And we were talking about that and some of the maybe advantages or disadvantages. We had a conversation about what constitutes a family because right now you can have up to six people in your family and a few folks have said well what if i want more extended family to share in my album not really possible right now i had brought up some of my concerns about what happens with editing and deleting items uh really the library is shared truly shared and anybody can kind of make changes or updates to it and those are synced out to the entire family so we were talking about all those sorts of things and then marty wrote in just with a comment. He said, seems like Apple and the public are moving backwards on this one. Didn't the old mobile me structure allow for shared uh, shared album links? Create an album and share the link with 
a zillion people, no limits, no family restrictions, and no worries about accidental deletions from others. Others could even upload to it, as I recall. Seems like this would be better than agonizing over complex family relationships. Doesn't this shared folder library still exist? And yes, that absolutely does. The concept of shared iCloud albums still exist, but this new family library is a little bit different. So I thought, because it is a little bit confusing, it, it might make sense to talk about some of the differences. So the new iCloud family library is just that. It's a single new library of photos that all family members share. So it's like the single bucket, the single photo library. So you think of photos today, right? You have a single photo library. Now we're just adding a new photo library that's separate from your main library, but it's your family library. And anything you put into your family's library gets shared out with everyone in your family and vice versa if they put something in there. But it does function purely as a whole library. So if someone creates an album in that library you're going to see those albums. If somebody makes a photo edit in that library, you're going to see those photo edits. If someone deletes a photo from that library, it's going to get deleted from your copy of that library. So it literally is a shared repository of photos. And you have to kind of think about it that way. Now, the iCloud shared album feature is just that. It is a single album that you can share with a bunch of people you invite to it. And you can share different albums with different people and you can have them set up for different reasons. But each one of those albums is just a view of those photos. And anything that you put in there, yes, with permissions, they can post to that album, but you don't have the ability to edit any of those items in the album. You can't delete items from that album. You can just kind of put them in there. And unless you download a copy of those files... Um, you can't really edit them. I believe whoever set up the album, if it's this shared album, does have the ability to delete photos, but you have to kind of be the owner of that album. And yes, members can also comment and like photos in there. So it has some really, really nice features, uh, but it's definitely different than a shared library. So I just wanted to point out that distinction. Now, if you want to use shared albums, I think they're great and probably an underutilized feature in photos. They're really easy to create. You just open up the Photos app. You can select the images you want to share, just like creating a normal al album. But you go under the File menu, you choose Share, and then select Shared Albums. You can also do it from the Share button in the menu bar. And then you choose New Shared Album, and then you give it a name, and you invite the people you want to share in that album. And then once it's created, it will appear in the Shared Albums in your sidebar. And then if you want to add more people or you want to set up permissions or change permissions on that album, you can do that by selecting the album and then clicking on the little person icon in the menu bar at the top. And then it'll give you some options so you can add or remove people from the shared album. You can turn on notifications so that if someone likes a photo or posts a photo, you can get notified about that. And you can also set up the album on a public website which will create a an iCloud link to that album. It'll upload those photos to iCloud and make them available via the web. So if you have someone who doesn't have a Mac or is on a different platform, you could share out that link and they could still participate in it. So it is a public link, so you need to be aware of that. It's 
it's you know security by obscurity so you have to actually have the link and it has a hash in it so it'd be pretty hard to guess what the links are but it is out there publicly so just be aware of that if you're using that feature um, but yeah it's a really cool feature of uh, albums but definitely something different than this new shared library and then finally for this week, Rick wrote in to ask about memory. And specifically, he says, what is wired memory and what is compressed memory? And in case you're unsure what he's referring to, this has to do with the memory usage on your system while it's running. And this information can be viewed using the activity monitor, which you can find inside the applications folder under utilities. And if you've never used Activity Monitor before, this app can be really, really handy in getting a good sense of what's happening on your system. And it's helpful in troubleshooting, especially if you notice that your system is running slowly. So if you launch the app, it gives you a bunch of different tabs and you can look at different parts of your system. So you can look at the CPU tab, for example, and you can see what apps are using your processor most heavily. You can look in the energy tab and see which apps are using the most power or the most battery. So if you're having battery drain issues, you can kind of see if there's an app maybe running in the background that's sucking up all your battery. Same for the disk tab. Uh, this shows your disk usage and what apps are doing the most reading and writing from your disk or the network tab, which can show you what apps are using the most network traffic. That can be really handy. And again, and identifying apps that are maybe running in the background and using up your network resources. Super handy if you have, you know, limited bandwidth or uh, have a data cap or something like that. So you might want to look at that. And as you might imagine, there is also a tab for memory and that shows which apps are using the most RAM and how they are using your memory. So this is, you know, a really, really handy feature. And specifically in the memory tab, there's a really nice overview graph and data table at the bottom. And that is where you'll see the wired and compressed memory that Rick was asking about this week, among other things. I'll just point out in that graph area, I think probably two of the most useful stats to use when you're troubleshooting uh, your system due to, mem to memory are uh, the memory pressure and the swap used. Now, memory pressure graphically illustrates that there's a little chart there. It'll show how efficiently your memory is serving your needs. And specifically, memory pressure is determined by the amount of free memory you have, the swap rate, so how much uh, memory is being written out to disk and written read back into the actual physical RAM, the wired memory, which we'll talk about in a bit, and the file cached memory. So, you know, how much caching is going on and that sort of stuff. And basically, I think just looking at the memory pressure graph, if it's not green, if it's moving into the yellow or worse, it's in the red area, that's a sure sign that you have some sort of memory problem going on. Now, the other thing to look at, the other number I think is important, is the swap used. And this is the amount of space being used on your startup disk to swap unused files to and from RAM. So when uh, you need more RAM available, physical RAM available on your system for an application, what it's going to do is it's going to go through and anything that is in RAM that's not really in active use, so background apps or things, it will actually take that and write that out to your disk. And that disk uh, storage has quite a bit of overhead. 
Not as much now as it used to, because with SSDs and specifically the fast SSDs that Apple uses, you're not going to really notice it as much. But historically, you don't want a lot of swap going on. Again, less of an issue now, but back in the day, that was a sure sign that, hey, I'm using up all my physical RAM and my machine, my system's having to work a little bit harder swapping the RAM in and out. So if you see a lot of that going on, probably time to kind of look at doing something or maybe get more RAM, which is, of course, as you know, harder these days because that usually means buying a new machine. But getting back to Rick's specific questions about wired memory and compressed memory, Rick, wired memory is the memory required for your system to operate. So this is actually the system memory. It's memory that can't be cached. It must stay in RAM. And so it's not available to other apps. So if you have a lot of wired memory being used up, that's probably a sign that your system is using a lot of memory for some reason. And you might want to look into it, but it's probably, you know, not going to be an issue because Apple knows their systems and they're going to kind of keep that within a certain certain limit. I don't, I don't think wired memory runs amok too much. Now, compressed, this is the amount of memory that has been compressed to make more RAM available. So what happens is when your computer is getting towards using up all of its memory capacity, inactive apps that are in memory get compressed so that there's additional space and it can avoid having to do the whole swap thing. So uh, it makes more memory available to the active apps. And if you select the compressed memory column and then look at the VM compressed column for each app, you can see the amount of memory that's being compressed for that specific app. So if you want to drill in, you can actually really, really look at this. But you know, overall, this is all really helpful in kind of giving you an idea of when you're approaching the limits of the physical RAM on your system. You can use all these graphs and this information to kind of figure that out and make decisions about how you want to manage it. Now, here's the reality. In most cases, for most people, you don't have to worry about this. You just simply don't have to because the system handles it for you. And as I mentioned, if you have a newer modern Mac with an SSD and a decent amount of free disk space, that's why we've talked about another important thing is make sure you have about 10% free disk space so that there's actually storage, disk storage available to kind of do the memory swapping and stuff like that. As long as you have that, you're not really going to probably run into too many issues. The system's just going to manage it. You're not going to see slowdowns. You're not going to have problems. And even with Apple's new unified memory, especially in the new M1 systems and M2 systems, we know this has gotten even better, right? Because we're seeing machines that only have maybe 8 gigabytes of RAM that are performing incredibly well and keeping up with systems that back in the day would have required or, or processes that would have required 16 or even 32 gigs of RAM. So we know that that's working pretty well and Apple has that pre-dialed in with the operating system and the hardware and stuff like that. One of the advantages that Apple has is being able to integrate the hardware and software and get all these things working really well. So overall, I would say with most modern Macs, you don't have to worry about this stuff too much anymore. But if you do find that you're hitting the limits, really the easiest thing to do would be just go through, figure out what apps are maybe using up a lot of memory or a lot of compressed memory. They're probably running in the background and just shut those apps down, you know, run fewer applications. So many people just get spoiled by the current system and you, you look down at your dock and you've got, you know, 10 applications open and you've got Safari open with 50 tabs and all this sort of stuff 
impacts that memory. So just start closing some things down and maybe run fewer apps. I mean, most of us can only work actively on one, maybe two, three apps at a time. So you often don't need so many apps just sitting open in the background. It's just, you know, a habit we kind of get into because we can, and there's nothing wrong with doing that. But if you are being impacted by RAM limitations, then that's a great way to just manually handle it. You can kind of take care of it yourself. If you go one step further and you just find for how you like to work, you know, maybe you're just the type of person like, I want to have all my applications open all the time and I don't care if they're running in the background. I want them running in the background. I like working that way. And if you kind of work like that and you find you really are running up against memory limits, uh, it may be time, especially if you're getting to upgrading it to a new Mac, to consider purchasing a system with more RAM. So if you have 8 gigabytes, maybe go up to 16. If you have 16, maybe jump to 32 for your next system. It will cost you a little bit more, but if that's how you prefer to work, that's really what it comes down to. So I hope that answers your question about the different kinds of memory. Went a little bit deeper into kind of memory and and how to manage that with your Mac and maybe making some future, you know, choices and buying decisions uh, based on how much RAM you actively use. But with that, that is going to do it for this episode of the MacCast. Bandwidth for the MacCast is provided by Cashfly. You can find them at C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y.com. And all advertising in the MacCast is handled by Backbeat Media. They are at BackbeatMedia.com. As always, I love hearing from you. If you have a comment, a question, something you'd like to hear covered on a future episode of the MacCast, you can send your emails and audio comments to maccast at gmail.com. You can also go to the website and download the new shortcut and use the uh, MacCast bat signal to shoot us an email. Uh, if you need show notes, links to anything we talked about on this or any other episode of the MacCast, you can find those on the website. That's at maccast.com. And I just realized I almost forgot to tell you about the hotline. If you want to leave a voicemail, you can call our listener hotline. That's at 281-622-4269, 281-MAC-IM9. You can leave a voicemail there. And then finally, if you want to follow me on social media, you can find me on Twitter, twitter.com slash maccast you can check out the maccast facebook page over at facebook.com slash the maccast or find me on instagram just maccast on instagram but that is going to do it for now until next time i will talk to you all again real soon <music>